The following message is by Pastor Jason Polly. More information from Harmony Bible Church is available at facebook.com backslash Harmony Bible Church. God, we just pray that your gracious hand would be upon us this morning. God, as we look at your word, just guide us and help us to see the things that we need to see. Help us to see what you have clearly communicated to us and then help us apply it to our lives. God, I pray that every person here would be shaken by your word, that we would be confronted with areas in our lives where we need to grow and change. And God, I pray that we would be comforted as well by your grace. God, I just pray for the churches that are meeting up and down the coast and around the world, that they too would worship you in spirit and in truth. I pray that your word would be proclaimed and that revival would take place in this land and that it would begin here with us. God, transform our hearts. Give us ears to hear and understand and hearts to apply what you're teaching us. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. So over the last seven weeks, we've been working our way through the book of 2 Peter. And today we're going to look at chapter 3. We have a lot of ground to cover. I know I say that every week, but I Trust me, we have a lot of ground to cover this week. Before we do, though, I just want to do a brief overview of what we've seen in the first two chapters. In chapter 1, Peter encouraged his readers to be firmly rooted in the Gospel. He told them to make certain that they were saved, that they had genuine faith in the true Gospel of Christ, not some cleverly devised tale, as he called it. And he told them that growing in Christ-like character would be the evidence of of such faith. And then in chapter 2, Peter's focus shifted. It didn't change, but it shifted to a warning about false teachers. So while chapter 1 is an encouragement, chapter 2 is a warning about not following the truth. He talked about false teachers who were motivated by pride, material gain, and sexual sin. And thus, they were trying to exploit the church of God. And he said that these false teachers, they were empty vessels making empty promises and that they were facing an empty future. One where they would remain enslaved to their sin and kept under punishment for the day of judgment. So that brings us to today's text as Peter continues to address the error of these false teachers. 2 Peter 3, verses 1-7. through If you'll stand with me for the reading of God's Word. 2 Peter 3, verses 1-7. through This now, beloved, the second letter I am writing to you in which I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the words spoken beforehand by the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior spoken by your apostles. Know this first of all, that in the last days mockers will come with their mocking, following after their own lusts, and saying, where is the promise of His coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all continues just as it was from the beginning of creation. For when they maintain this, it escapes their notice that by the Word of God, the heavens existed long ago, and the earth was formed out of water and by water, through which the world at that time was destroyed, being flooded with water. But by His Word, the present heavens and earth are being reserved for fire, kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. May the Lord add a 
blessing to the reading, the hearing, and the applying of His Word this morning. Amen. You may be seated. So I've titled today's message, False Teachers Who Deny Christ's Return. Because this text makes it clear that this was at least one element of their false teaching. You see, the church has always viewed Christ's return as an essential, essential Christian doctrine. In John 14, 1-3, Jesus Himself said, Do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in Me. In My Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. For I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to Myself. That, that, that where I am, there you may be also. And in Matthew 25, Jesus gives us an even clearer picture of what His second coming will involve. Matthew 25, 31-46 says this, But when the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with Him, then He will sit on His glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before Him and He will separate them from one another as the shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And He will put the sheep on His right and the goats on His left. And the King will say to those on His right, Come, you who are blessed of My Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Then He will say to those on His left, Depart from Me, accursed ones, into the eternal fire which has been prepared for the devil and his angels. These will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Therefore, in light of this, Peter says, I'm going to stir you up by way of reminder. You need to remember the Gospel. You need to remember the true Gospel that includes Christ's promise to return. That includes the fact that Jesus is indeed coming back. So with that, look at verses 1 and 2 of our text, 2 Peter 3, 1 and 2. It says, This is now, beloved, the second letter I am writing to you. Just a side note. Not sure exactly what other letter he's referring to. uh, Whether it's probably 1 Peter, but we don't know if this was a different audience altogether that he's writing to, separate from 1 Peter. Um, But nonetheless, he says, this is the second letter I'm writing to you in which I'm stirring you up, stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the words spoken beforehand by the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior spoken by your apostles. What was the message of the holy prophets beforehand? He says, I want to remind you of the message of the holy prophets beforehand. And the commandment of the Lord and Savior spoken by the apostles. First, we'll look at the the first part of this. And when Peter spoke of the message of the holy prophets beforehand, he probably had the following prophecies in mind. You don't need to turn there, but if you want to jot these down, Joel 2.1 says, Blow a trumpet in Zion and sound an alarm on my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble, for the Lord is coming. Surely it is near. Obadiah 15 says, For the day of the Lord draws near on all the nations. As you have done, it will be done to you. Your dealings will return on your own head. In Zephaniah 1, verses 14 through 17 says, Near is the great day of the Lord. Near and coming very quickly. Listen, the day of the Lord 
In it, the warrior cries out bitterly, a day of wrath is that day, a day of trouble and distress, a day of destruction and desolation, a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and thick darkness, a day of trumpet and battle cries against the fortified cities and the high corner towers. I will bring distress on men so they will walk like the blind because they have sinned against the Lord. There's just three references, but the message of the holy prophets beforehand in the Old Testament was that there was a coming day of the Lord. A day where the Messiah would come in righteous judgment. However, the Old Testament prophets also pointed to a coming Messiah who would suffer and die for His people. So what later developed in Judaism was this idea of two Messiahs. Messiah ben Joseph, who would suffer, who would be the suffering Messiah. And Messiah ben David, the Messiah who would reign and rule in righteousness. But as Christians, we clearly see one Messiah. We clearly see one Messiah in the work, the person and work of Jesus Christ. So with His first advent or coming being the purpose of dying for the sins of His people. And His second coming, His coming back being to receive us unto Himself and to reign and rule in righteousness. To bring a righteous judgment upon the earth. So when Peter speaks of the words beforehand spoken by the holy prophets, he's talking about prophets who predicted the coming day of the Lord. They didn't see that the Lord was coming in two comings, two advents. But they just knew that He was coming. And when Peter speaks of the command of the Lord and Savior spoken by your apostles, he's referring to the command to live righteous lives as we await Christ's return. Peter probably wrote this letter with the following commands, the commands of the Lord and Savior Jesus, written by the apostles. He probably wrote with these commands in mind. 1 John 2, verses 28 and 29 says, Now, little children, abide in Him, so that when He appears we may have confidence and not shrink away from Him at His coming. If you know that He is righteous, you know that everyone also who practices righteousness is born of Him. 1 Thessalonians 3, verses 11-14 through 14 says, Now may our God and Father Himself and Jesus our Lord direct our way to you, and may the Lord cause you to increase and abound in love for one another. And for all people, just as we also do for you, so that he may establish in your hearts without blame in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus. He wants to establish your hearts without blame and holiness before the Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus. Philippians 1 8 through 10. For God is my witness, how I long for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this I pray, that your love may abound still more and more in real knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve the things that are excellent in order to be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ. And Titus 2, verses 11-13. through 13, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to men, instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. 
See, the Bible is full, full of admonitions to live holy lives in anticipation. Live holy lives in anticipation of Christ's coming and to reign, and his, his coming to reign and rule over the earth. So when Peter says, I'm stirring you up by way of reminder. He's saying, I want you to remember the words spoken beforehand by the holy prophets. The words that said, God is coming. And He's coming in judgment. And then he says, and the command of the Lord and Savior spoken by the apostles. The apostles said, the Lord Jesus demands. He commands you to live holy lives expecting Him to come back. And may you be found holy May you be found spotless and blameless when He sets His foot back on this earth. He's reminding them to live in holy expectation. To live holy lives in, in sight of the fact, in view of the fact that Christ is coming back. And none of us, none of us will do this perfectly. We do not live holy and righteous lives in our own strength. The Christian life is one of constant repentance, turning back to God, crying out to God, and asking God, God, make me holy, for it is nothing that we can do in our own strength. But, as we saw the last couple of weeks, God will finish the work that He has started. And I assure you that, if you are a follower of Jesus, that's what He's calling you to do, and making you do, live holy lives. He will finish that work in you, for He is Faithful. Then Peter says, verse 3, Know this first of all, that in the last days mockers will come with their mocking. So Peter's not saying that the appearing of these mockers is some future event. He's not saying, you'll you'll recognize the last days, that at some point the last days are going to come and you're going to know that they're there because mockers will suddenly appear. He's not saying that at all. The Bible uses the term, the last days, to refer to the time between the resurrection of Christ and His second coming. So the time between when Christ was resurrected, remember when he, he's, he's raised up from death and then He ascends into heaven and the apostles are standing there and, and Acts and they're watching and, and the angel comes and he says, All right, guys, fellas, like He's coming back, right? But, and He's coming back quickly, but not that quickly. Like, <laughs> scatter, right? Because they're standing there looking up at the sky. That the time between that ascension and the time when He steps foot on this earth again, that those are the last days. In fact, Peter himself testifies to this fact. In Acts 2, at the beginning of of Acts chapter 2, we read that the apostles were filled with the Holy Spirit and they began speaking. And many people were amazed because they were hearing hearing them in their own native tongue. They said, I can understand what these apostles, what these men are saying. And then others said, no, no, they're just drunk, right? And in verses 14 through 17 of Acts chapter 2, we read, But Peter, taking his stand with the eleven, raised his voice and declared to them, Men of Judea and all who live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you, and give heed to my words, for these men are not drunk, as you suppose, for it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was spoken through the prophet Joel. It shall be in the last days, God says, that I will pour forth My Spirit on all of mankind. Peter says, this is a fulfillment of what Joel said would happen 
in the last days. 2,000 years ago, Peter said, this is a fulfillment. We're living in the last days. And in Hebrews 1, Paul also says that he's living in the last days. Hebrews 1, 1 through 2, he says, God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers and the prophets in many portions and in many ways, in these last days, has spoken to us in his Son, whom he appointed over all, heir of all things, through whom also he made the world. He says, in these last days, whom he's spoken to us through his Son. See, Paul and Peter were living in the last days, as are we. We know that we are living in the last days. And every day that passes, we get closer and closer to the return of the Lord Jesus. So Peter is not saying that one day, one day, sometime long in the distant, in the 2,000 years from now, mockers will come. But instead saying that mockers will continue to come in the last days. Throughout this time, between Christ's resurrection and His coming back, mockers will come. See, Peter knew that these mockers were with them then. And and that they would always be around. So we should not be surprised at those who mock us for believing in the return of Christ. For as Peter says, mockers will come with their mocking. So for us who know that Christ is coming back, He's coming back to fix that which is broken, to reign and rule in righteousness, to receive us unto Himself, and to bring judgment upon the ungodly. Peter wants us who believe that, who know that, to know why the church will always have these mockers. And why there will always be false teachers who deny Christ's return. So as we move into the the meat of our text, right? that's almost the introduction, right? As we move into the meat of our text, the rest of our text, I want you to notice a progression that begins to take place in the lives of these mockers. Look at verse 3 again with me. 2 Peter 3, 3. Know this first of all, that in the last days mockers will come with their mocking, following after their own lusts. The first point in this progression is their desire Number one, their desire. Peter says, not only will mockers continue to come with their mocking, but the reason is because they're following after their own lusts. See, we've repeatedly seen throughout this book the correlation that Peter makes with false teachers, the false teachers of his day particularly, and the sins of pride, greed, and licentiousness. And it's no mistake that even among false teachers today, we see these very same sins of Pride, greed, and licentiousness. right? The lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the boastful pride of life appearing again and again. See, the key here is that these false teachers, they follow after their lusts. So it's not just that they have desires or that they have these lusts, it's that they follow after them, Peter says. And the Greek behind this word makes it clear, or these words follow after makes it clear, that this doesn't refer to a one-time event, but instead, something that focuses on continuity of action. It means to live, or to behave, or to go about doing something. So when Peter says, they follow after their lust, they're living after them, they're following after them with continuity. It's the same term, following after, is the same term that's used in Matthew 
where Jesus says this, and as you go, it's the same word for go, as you follow after, as you continue to do this thing, preach, saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. God doesn't call us in Matthew 10.7 to just go once and preach the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He says, as you go, as you continue to do this lifelong thing, it's also the same term that's used in Luke 1.6. We're speaking of Zacharias and Elizabeth. The scripture says they were both righteous in the sight of God, walking blamelessly in all the commands of the Lord. So they were walking blamelessly. Again, it's a picture of lifelong, continuous action, not a one-time thing. So Peter's saying these mockers, they sought after. They made a lifestyle of pursuing their fleshly desires. They continued in pursuing their fleshly desires. So now let's move on to the second point in this progression in the life of these false teachers. We saw that following after their desire, they made a lifestyle of their desire. Number two, we see their denial. Number two, their denial. As I said earlier, and I've said so many times before, that we as Christians are called to let our theology shape our behavior. So we let our theology shape our behavior. We're called to let our belief form our practice. Whereas false teachers let their behavior shape their theology. In other words, false teachers follow after their own lusts, their own desires, and then they create a belief system, a theology that approves of their lifestyle. So it's easy to see how Peter moves from following after their desire to denial of Christ's second coming. When one's following after their own desires, they do not want to think of a coming day of judgment. So it's easy to deny any such judgment. Look at verses 3 and 4 again of chapter 3. Know this first of all, that in the last days mockers will come with their mocking, following after their own lusts. Right? Number one, their desire, following after their own lusts. And the next step is, and saying, where is the promise of His coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all continues just as it was since the beginning of creation. There's their denial. So they followed after their own desires, and then they denied the truth. They denied that Jesus was coming back. Because these false teachers don't want to live in holy expectation. They didn't want to live sensibly and righteously and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. They wanted to pursue their, their fleshly desires. So what did they do? They changed their beliefs. They said, Jesus isn't coming back. And this may sound absurd, right? That somebody would change what they believe based on their desire. But isn't denial of truth that which naturally arises out of us doing whatever we desire? So, doing what we desire is indeed a denial. Whatever we desire, regardless of the cost, regardless of the command of the Lord, is a denial and it leads to further denial is what I'm saying. Why do you think so many people say things like, I don't believe in hell? Or, well, I don't believe that God is a God who judges people. 
Right? My God is a loving God. You see, people say these things because they want a God made in the image of their liking. They want a God that suits them and approves what they want. And in so doing, they've broken the second commandment. Right? They've created an idol. They've fashioned an idol, a God, to suit their own image, a false God. Unless we make it about them, we need to be careful here. Because I think sometimes this is where it's easy to go as believers. Well, look at what they're doing. They're saying that there's no such thing as hell. Look at what they're doing. They're saying God is a loving God who doesn't judge. Meanwhile, the church says, well, God didn't really say that homosexuality is wrong. Or the church says, individuals in the church say, well, drunkenness isn't really condemned in Scripture. Or they say, well, I know what the Scripture says about drunkenness. Or I know what the Scripture says about honoring God with my finances. Or I know what the Scripture says about my diet and the way I should eat or the words that I speak. But, and that but causes us to change what we believe to deny the truth so that we can follow our desires. How many of us at work have found ourselves in a situation where there's coarse jesting and we participate and it becomes not a big deal because we deny the reality of what Scripture says about such things because we're following after what we want to do. And we, in a sense, do the very same thing. We make a God to suit our liking. We let our our practice shape our theology, not our theology shape our lifestyle. These false teachers wanted to pursue their fleshly desires, not live righteously awaiting the day of the Lord. So what did they do? They molded their beliefs, their teaching, their theology to their behavior. These false teachers were probably saying things like, There's no coming day of judgment. It's okay to live the way you want to live. Follow your desires. Be free. Remember? Misquoting Galatians. It was for freedom that Christ set you free. Do as you desire. Now notice the argument they made to deny His coming. They said, For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all continues just as it was from the beginning of creation. Their argument was this. It was to say, look around. God hasn't intervened since creation. So it's obvious that He isn't going to come in the future. This argument is every bit as common today as it was then. Probably more common in some respects. Because they were saying this 30 years, 40 years after Jesus. They're saying, come on, it's been 40 years. He's not coming back. And now the world looks around and they say, come on, you don't really believe this, do you? Come on, Harmony Bible Church. It's been 2,000 years. See, many people see God as the one who created the world and set it into motion, and then He steps back and He lets things just run their course. They believe that God is not the God who sustains, who not only creates, but sustains this world. They believe instead that the laws of nature are what govern our world. They say, look at creation. All is the same since the beginning. 
Nothing has changed. But that's not Christianity. That's called deism. And they don't get it from the pages of Scripture. And I would believe that is largely what our country believes, what most of the people in our country believe. They believe in a God who set things into motion, but He's not truly involved and He's not really coming back. They don't get it from the pages of Scripture. Instead, it's created out of a desire to have a God that fits their lifestyle, that fits their liking. So that brings us to the final step we see in this progression. First, they follow after their desire. Number two, that leads to their denial of truth. And then number three, their disregard. Their complete disregard. Look at 2 Peter 3, verses 5-7 through with me. Peter says, For when they maintain this, when they say, He's not coming back. All has remained the same since the beginning. When they maintain this, it escapes their notice that by the Word of God, the heavens existed long ago, and the earth was formed out of water and by water, through which the world at that time was destroyed, being flooded with water. But by His, present, but by his Word, the present heavens and the earth are being reserved for fire, kept for the day of judgment and the destruction of ungodly men. The New American Standard, the NASB, obscures the meaning of verse 5 when it says, it escapes their notice. If you have the NASB, you'll notice that it says, it escapes their notice that these things happened. And the Greek indicates willfulness and intent, not something that's accidental. In fact, every other English translation really makes it a lot more clear. The King James, the ESV, the NIV, all of them make it more clear. The ESV says they deliberately overlook. In other words, they completely disregard the fact that God is both creator and sustainer of this world. Peter says, by the word of God, the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water and by water, right? In other words, He's the Creator. They they don't recognize the fact that long ago, God created the world, not only created the world, but then He also says, through which, referring back to the water, the world at that time was destroyed, being flooded with water. In other words, not all has continued just as it was from the beginning of creation. Peter points to the flood. The flood of Noah. And he says, They deliberately overlooked the fact that not only did God create the world, but that He indeed destroyed the world before. They deliberately overlooked the fact that there was a flood where God brought judgment before. See, God is not restrained by the laws of nature, but He is instead the author of the laws of nature. By His Word, Peter says. The earth revolves because He says so. The earth revolves because He causes it to. The sun burns because He causes it to. It is by His Word that the sun continues to burn. And when I get up tomorrow and there's light, the sun has risen, it is because God ordained it so. Not because God is a slave of His creation and the laws of nature say it must be. So if at any time he desires to do something different, he can. 
It is wrong for us to think that if I take this pen and I drop it, what's, it, what's going to happen? It's going to fall. And if I do it again, it's going to fall. And I do it again, it's going to fall. That it's always going to be that way and that God is a slave to the law of gravity. If God says, I want something different to happen, something different can happen. God says, do not think that because the sun, Peter says, do not think that because the sun came up yesterday, and the day before, and the day before, and the day before, with no coming of judgment by the Lord Jesus, that the same will be going on forever. Last time He destroyed the earth with water. But now, Peter says, verse 7, by His Word, the present heavens and earth are being reserved for fire. They're being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. And the false teachers, they disregard, they deliberately overlook this fact. See, they disregard the call to live holy lives in anticipation of Christ's return. They deliberately disregard God. So let's do a little bit of a review of this progression that takes place in the lives of these mockers. Number one, they follow their desire. They, they build a lifestyle of following after their desire, which leads to denial, their denial of truth, which ultimately leads to their disregard for God. For God and His warnings and His coming day of judgment. So on that encouraging note, how do we apply all of that as a church? At Harmony Bible Church, how do we take what Peter just said and apply it both individually and corporately as a church? First, let's let this progression serve as a warning to us. So we must not think that we are standing so strong that we cannot fall. We must be careful. For we too can fall into the same progression. That when we follow our desire, that when we want what we want so bad that it causes us to deny truth, right? I want what I want and I'm willing to sin in order to get it. That when we deny truth, that leads to further and further and further disregard for God and His warnings. We must always check ourselves and our desires and make sure that they are in accordance with God's Word. I think the church also needs to be careful to not long for the day of the coming of the Lord without realizing what that day will look like. We need to be careful to say, come Lord Jesus, come Lord Jesus, rescue us! when we don't realize that the world around us faces a righteous judge who will come and demand answers, who will reign and rule in righteousness. That the neighbor that we talk to as we lean over the fence in our backyard, that the family member who we love, we celebrate Christmas and Easter and Thanksgiving with, that those who don't know Jesus face eternal punishment. So as we look to this, we should stand ready to warn. We should leave here warning this community. We should stand here. We should leave here warning our family members and our friends of the coming day of judgment. But we must also know that 
In these last days, mockers will come with their mocking, but that doesn't change our message. That should never change our message. And second, we must see the positive progression, the growth that happens in us and through us when we live in light of the Gospel. We've talked about the progression that happens in these mockers' lives when they deny the truth, when they follow their desires and deny the truth and disregard God's warnings. There's a positive progression that happens in the life of the believer. Number one, realize we realize that true, lasting peace will only come through serving Him. So we don't follow our desires. Instead, we follow Christ's desires for our lives. We say, I will serve Him because lasting pleasure comes through serving Him and not serving myself. And when we do that, we walk in truth. Number two, we walk in truth. We don't deny, but instead, we let our theology shape our behavior. And number three, that leads us to live holy lives in this world as we expectantly await Christ's return and our final rescue. We live lives that are set apart to God and for God as we're used of Him mightily awaiting the return of Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Father God, thank You for Your grace. God, we know that Your Word calls us to live holy lives in eager anticipation of the return of Your Son, Jesus. God, I pray that we would take seriously both the warnings and the commands and the promises of Scripture. That we would be serious about not only claiming Your promise that You will come and rescue us, but also Your warning that we are to live holy and righteous lives, lives set apart for You in these last days. Help us, God, not to be derailed by mockers, for we know that mockers will come. May we have hearts that desire to reach them. Hearts that are eager to share Your Gospel for Your glory, Lord. God, help us to live in such a way that when Your Son Jesus returns, we are found ready. We are found serving. And we are found focused on Your kingdom and not our own. We pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Jason Polly, pastor of Harmony Bible Church in South Thomaston, Maine. Feel free to share this message with others, and we invite you to connect with us on Facebook at facebook.com backslash Harmony Bible Church. God bless you, and to God be the glory.